I didn't grow up seeing people that was lynched. I knew about it. I, you know, uh, wasn't something that was always discussed. And I always said, I can't bring them back. But the least I can do for them is say a prayer for them. There's a rule in some areas that if the clan got the body, families could not get those bodies. I always felt that I, I, I could give them their ashes, their ashes. I could do that for them. This experience of working on Ashes to Ashes has been not just a history lesson for me, it's, it's this entire history that we have cultural amnesia about that is not in our textbooks, that is not talked about. It is a nonstop journey and it's absolutely necessary. We have a very special show today um, with two guests. We have Dr. Shirley Jackson Whitaker and Taylor Reese, and we're going to be talking about a lot of things, but uh, they just put out a film. I guess it, it came out in May, really, for the first time at Mountain Film uh, called Ashes to Ashes, a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, and we're going to be talking a lot about that. I, I won't touch on it anymore at this moment. But uh, with that, welcome, Dr. Whitaker, and welcome, Taylor, to the Rome podcast. We're delighted to have you here today um, for a great conversation. And our co-host, Mr. Corey Richards, we are What's doing up? this from Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Whitaker is joining us from Amherst, Massachusetts. And Taylor is joining us from a gas station outside of Las Vegas. <laughs> hey so real quick we we always jockey back and forth on the show um oftentimes cj does a short introduction for this I, I i would like to ask you guys to just briefly um or not so briefly however you want to introduce yourselves um and kind of give everybody a, a little bit of a background on who you are where you came from and, and how uh you've come to be uh, in this conversation today, because I think that's really interesting for people. Um, hi, Corey. It's been so hi. long. <laughs> I miss you. In a while. Yeah. We've, we've spent, uh, yeah, I'm actually headed out on a, on a little bit of a mission as we speak. I'm here in my van outside of Vegas. Uh, it's my first shoot kind of since COVID. I'm doing a distanced nine-day horse packing trip um, with uh, with two amazing women um, from the African-American and Native communities going to be talking about kind of um, race issues in the outdoors and de decolonizing outdoor spaces. And so, you know, hopefully I'll make it there. I'm currently stranded, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm a uh, filmmaker in the community, um, been a part of the adventure community for a while, but my, my roots are also in environmental issues and in humanitarian issues, um, mostly in, in the dock space. Um, I grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts, and actually just down the street from, from Shirley, um, Dr. Shirley Jackson Whitaker. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, you know, about four years ago, uh, Shirley was planning the ceremony. She'll tell you all about it, but I'll just let you know how I got involved. Um, she was looking for a filmmaker to help document her ceremony and um, kind of struggling to find someone and ended up reaching out and asked if I would help. And uh, we've been on a journey together <laughs> ever since, um, working with her on her story, uh, also bringing in the personal experience of Winfred Rembrandt, who's, in, who's the other character in this on this journey, um, and my partner Renan Ozturk also, uh, you know, shot shot and co-directed this film. And so, um, yeah, that's that's who I am and how I came to be a part of this. And thanks so much to you all for hosting the conversation. Thanks for being here, Taylor. I also just mentioned that you have actually been discussed on the podcast previously, uh, just in some stories with from Hillary Nelson about uh, your Burma experience with with Corey. So some of our listeners might have heard of you even through the through the podcast previously. So it's nice to have you here today. Thanks. Thank you. And so Dr. Whitaker, I, I, obviously there's this this more uh, a little bit older connection between you and Taylor, but 
Um, you're, you have a much broader background and your character in this film um, comes with a certain sense of authority uh, from two perspectives. And I'm, and so one, as a doctor, uh, but also as an artist. And I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to uh, just hear your background in both of those regards. So, but also where you grew up, who you are, how you came to this. Wow. How long? How much time you got? <laughs> well, we got, we got as much time as you want to give us. It's great. Oh, man. Well, from, I was raised in Georgia, South Georgia. And I'm not far from where the young man was jogging and was killed. That's where I, that area is where I grew up. Okay. And um, when I finish, I've always, for I don't think I always was into medicine, although my mother felt I should be. I um, always loved something artistic. Uh, the first time I remember doing something artistic was that my cousin, we, he cleaned off the road. I lived on a dirt road. He cleaned off the road and he told me, he used to love to draw. He said, you know, we can stay here and we can draw all day long and you can draw as much as you want. This is like your canvas. I didn't know what a canvas was, but it sounded really good. And so I remember in the hot Georgia sun, out there in the road, no one came down. The next morning when I got up, people had, the cars had drove over my artwork. And I didn't understand why didn't, how, did, how could they do that? Didn't they know that was very important to, you know. But night, who's going to see it? Um, first grade, I remember in first grade, a teacher gave me, we had clay. And I made a turtle out of this clay. So I, since I always had a, a love of something artistic. I went to college and wound up doing, going to medical. I'm trained as an internist slash nephrologist slash epidemiologist. Those are areas that I've been trained in. You hear the word epidemiologist a lot now because of um, coronavirus. I'm a kidney specialist. And um, so I manage people on dialysis and people with um, poorly function of their kidneys. I've always done things that's been artistic, as I said. Um, how did I get into Ashes to Ashes? I um, been trying to put together what moved me to do this. And I know that when I saw there was some when I, was, I, I did some work at Yale, and I remember going to a show, I think, in New York, where they had these postcards, and they showed people that had been lynched. And I felt a pain, very, a lot of pain with that. And I'm trying to think, I, you know, the last few weeks, where, what was another time when I felt this kind of pain? That when I always see people, haven't seen them. I didn't grow up seeing people that was lynched. I knew about it, I, you know. Uh, wasn't something that was always discussed. But I remember when I was like four or five, I was with my grandmother. She went to see her sister, who I realized later was dying. But, you know, you got all these adults there, so she gave me some pennies. And I, I could, she said, you just go to the store. And the idea that I could go to the store by myself was a big deal. And I went to the store with four or five pennies, and you could, oh, man, you could buy a lot of stuff. So it's a, several kids in this space buying stuff. And I remember a little boy standing next to me and I figured he must have been a big shot cause he could buy a cherry bomb. I don't know if it's a cherry, it's a firecracker that looks like a cherry and has a green straw comes out of it. I figured he had a lot of money cause that was expensive. It probably cost a nickel or something like that. And I remember we all came out of the store and we all opened the bags and seen what we got. And he said, he didn't put my cherry bomb in here. And he went back in the store. And I heard him tell the man, sir, you didn't, you didn't put my cherry bomb in, um, in the bag. And so the man started cursing at him. 
He said, you want your so-and-so on chair bomb? I'll give you your, so -and -so your chair bomb. And what he did was, I heard a boom. And the little boy walked out of the store. And the man had thrown the chair bomb in his right eye and blew his eye out. And I just remember, we all stood there so quiet. Nobody said a thing. And I just remember walking down them steps and the pain, I always felt hurt because I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't help it. I didn't know what to do. And um, that's sort of pain I feel, uh, felt when I see pictures of people that was lynched or hearing about them being lynched, that someone, for whatever reason, destroyed another human being. And I always said, I can't bring them back. But the least I can do for them is say a prayer for them. That I could, you know, just give them that. Because often when the Klan um, kill you, uh, they burn you up, they slice you, they mutilate your bodies. And you, there's a rule in some areas that if the Klan got the body, you if you come get the body, the body it's you. It's there. So families could not get those bodies. I always felt that I, I, I could give them their ashes, the ashes. I could do that for them. And it's all about them. Uh, to this day, I feel sad about that little boy that I didn't do anything. I don't know what I would have done. There was nothing I could do. But for those people that were lynched, I can give them, give them a prayer. And that's what ashes ashes about, is giving them a And I, it, it just rolled around in my head, seemed like forever. And I just decided that I'm going to do a funeral service for them. And I said, I have it in my backyard. I could do it there. But someone came and um, this, 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 I'm on a radio station once a week with health issues. And a guy there said, he said, Doc, you know, you can have it at a real church. So he helped me to have it in a real church. And this um, girl, there's a girl named uh, Carol Williams. I don't know if you ever heard of her. She does a lot of photography. But this young lady, she did this um, um, installment with me and this other lady. And I was, we was at a mutual benefit about 2014. And she said, um, I told her about the idea. She loved it. She said, come, let's talk about it. So I went and she after hearing about it, and she said, you know, you need to document this. Look, I just want to get the funeral done. You know, that was my thing, but she felt the need to be documented. And so she said, what we do is we'll have, have something like a gallery showing at your house, so then you can sell some of your paintings and use some of the money to, um, to get video. She said, if you just get videos taken up, just take someone to videotape, then maybe later we get somebody to, you know, to screen and, and, and put it together. So we had this gathered at my house until a father came. And uh, I was telling him, uh, Joan was sitting there and told me, you've got to document this. And I was, and I told people about the idea there and um, tell a father and my husband, was in the back talking. I said, I'm giving this outstanding speech and they're back there talking. But what they was talking about, Todd, who's Taylor's father said, you know, we should be able to do this. We should be able to make, make this into a film. And so um, he told me, you know, told me about Taylor and um, he started, you know, organizing how it would be done. And I got the place. And as I said, I do artwork. Some of the work that I do has a strong Southern slant to it. So I do um, church scenes, you know, black people in church and people picking cotton, just Southern scenes. And the one with cotton on there, I felt that people had never, people died on cotton and people have never seen this. I did this with cotton. So this girlfriend of mine remembered that and she said, she called me, she said, I was in Boston this weekend. I saw this work by this guy. He does a lot of work with cotton. You should meet him. So he's having a show in Hartford, Connecticut. 
So when snowy icy day, we drove down there to see a show. And someone had done a documentary on Winford. And in the, in, in the documentary, he showed a painting and had all of these six gravesite and one was empty. And I, he said, these are people that were lynched. And one was for humanity, because he said humanity died when they lynched all those people. And when I told, I stood up and you know told him where I was from at you know end of the documentary, I told him I was from a town called Waycross, Georgia, and he said, "Baby, they lynched a lot of people where you from." So he's from Georgia, just like I was, and we was brought together because on his painting, the main thing that Winfrey does is include cotton. So because I've done work in cotton, someone felt to me. So after that, I went and went and you know those talks. I said. You said something about lynching. He said, well, yeah, baby, they was lynching me. I said, you serious? He said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm doing this, this, this thing. Of, I'm going to do a funeral service with people that have been lynched. Would you come and let um, us interview you? And Todd Taylor, father, started interviewing people for um, to the possibility of women. So he said, yeah, baby, can you cook? And I said, yeah, I think I do pretty good. He said, if you cook a meal for me and Pat, come up there. So I told Todd, he told Taylor, and she says, don't bring him to Amherst, go to New Haven where he is. So Todd got a film crew and went down there and they started talking, letting him talk. And so that's how, Winfrey got into it, Taylor got into it, Todd got into it, and I got into it. And um, it was the first, Ashes to Ashes, this funeral service was the first that's ever been done. And the people in the community loved it. It was about 700 people came and it was very moving. People were crying. It was unheard. So that's it. Thank so, you. Um, yeah. The, the, the documentation of that within the film is incredibly powerful. So I definitely recommend that our listeners uh, check it out and uh, that we'll put all of this information in the show notes. It's, it's an amazing piece. From a filmmaking perspective, it presents some pretty complex problems that you did a beautiful job of, of weaving together. How did you, I mean, this is more a granular question. I want to get back to some of the big picture topics, but as a filmmaker, you know, you've got this macro story and then you've got the micro story and, and obviously they work in unison, but I'm really curious how you approach that. Um, it definitely was a journey and that's a part of, I think also why it took so long for the film to be made. I mean, uh, as, as Shirley mentioned, um, you know, our goal in the beginning was to document her ceremony and provide just a, a video coverage of that, which we did make just kind of like an hour summary of the film. And then the journey of uh, meeting Winfred kind of came serendipitously later, um, spending time with him, listening to his story, understanding that he provided this very personal and lived experience of, um, of this kind of uh, violence and trauma from that era. And Shirley was there representing and educating on this larger scale um, so, you know, we knew that there was potential to weave them together, but how to do that wasn't, wasn't super clear. It was a lot of communication back and forth. We had um, two advisors, uh, Black filmmaker Cameron Granger, who is a shooter on the project as well, um, was, a, was a big collaborator in the story, and writer Allison Davis um, also helped. And so, you know, working together to, with those story advisors, um, really helped us kind of decide like, you know, what is the story about? Because as white filmmakers, you know, Renan and I knew that it wasn't our job or place to give an educational story about the history of lynching, um, that, that this story originated out of a, an, you know, a commitment to honor Shirley's work and a commitment to honor Winfred's story and keeping it as simple as that, you know, this, this really is a film about these two individuals, these two artists um friends and you know the work that they're doing and uh you know we didn't have a lot of time shooting with Winfred really only a couple days so you know it was Allison's thought to to keep that thread on, on the dynamic between them I mean surely I think the film asked the question like 
you know, can art heal? And I don't think it answers the question. Um, I would say surely your work really demonstrates the incredible power of, you know, committing to art for educational purposes and healing purposes and these ceremonies for healing purposes. And in some ways, Winfred, as you know, Shirley, like, you know, compulsively does this art, it's, it's in him, he's expressing his story, but it's not necessarily healing him. And so, um, you know, those themes were always in the, in the background of our minds and the edit process was a big collaboration um, and took a while. And, you know, we've also, the film was supposed to release a couple months ago, but with everything going on, we wanted to make sure that this story didn't get kind of wrapped up into that moment, that it really remained a piece about Winfred and Shirley as individuals, um, although it clearly has like a lot, you know, to contribute, I think, to the conversation. I mean, that's, you, you've touched on a number of things and I, before I lose them, you brought up a good point um, and, and I want to address it. In this moment, making a film of this nature, there's these kinds of films get critiqued on a number of different levels. So I just want, can you address how, um, as a white filmmaker, as white filmmakers telling a black story and how you navigated that? I mean, obviously you, you brought in some, some consultants and help, but what were the biggest issues? I mean, and how, where was the, where was the main source of discomfort? You know, when, when I first uh, made the decision to help document Shirley's funeral, um, you know, we knew right away that it was definitely a different territory and required bringing in additional collaborators. But, you know, I also like had a number of conversations with friends, black artists and filmmakers at the time about um, about commitment. And it's, you know, at a certain point of time like this, it wasn't a story that I sought out thinking like I need to make a statement about race, but it was a commitment to a family friend and things kind of evolved. But just saying like, I'm going to own this. It's not anyone else's job to walk me through the learning process to make sure I don't make mistakes of tact or sensitivity. So, you know, for the years of the edit and, and our continued um, shoots, you know, I relied on, on conversations with friends and advisors, but a lot of it too was, was doing learning on my own and knowing for myself at the end of the day why I was making this film um, and that I was going to do my best to honor these two human beings and what they have to bring to the world and the fact that I, you know, just happened to kind of end up in a situation to help them. Um, but I would say that as the lot, you know, as the years have progressed and especially now, I do think that there's a very important conversation going on about, um, about who should tell whose stories and how people should be involved in these spaces. And there's a strong and important conversation asking white people to really step down from engaging in stories, particularly about um, black trauma, violence against the black body, any, you know, any story. And I think as a cultural filmmaker, someone who travels the world often, you know, I, I find myself in a lot of positions. I'm like, is this, you know, is this a story I should be engaging in? And, um, you know, we're, we're learning together now. I mean, making this film was a huge lesson for me in understanding allyship and making mistakes in, um, you know, going down paths and then running it by people and them saying, you know, I, I think you're looking at this the wrong way. Um, you know, and how can we look at this together? We made a number of decisions with those advisors. Like, you know, do we include the faces of the lynched and the historic photos, um, you know, how do we treat this so it's not uh, exploitive violence and um, yeah, a lot, you know, just a lot of micro decisions and I don't know if, if everyone in the world will feel uh, great about the fact that I'm a part of this filmmaking team, but hopefully they also understand that, you know, really Shirley was the originator of this whole thing. I mean, Ashes to Ashes, the ceremony is, is her project, her idea. Um, and then meeting Winfred came through her too. And um, yeah, just kind of an unconventional coming together and a lot of tricky paths, but ones I'm so grateful to be on and be learning from. Dr. Whitaker, I, I, this film has a lot to do with trauma. Um, and, <laughs> and, and in some ways, the way I interpreted it was stored trauma. Um, when you look at Winfred and the way uh, 
his health has manifested. Um, it's, it's very apparent to me that there is some level of stored trauma. And I'm curious, as a health professional, if you could speak to how trauma, and specifically violent trauma, and also, you know, racial trauma uh, contributes to health, mental health, and, and physical well-being um, of, of people in general, but also more specifically, uh, you know, black people or BIPOC. One thing I, I often say when I talk about the film is that in order to heal, when patients come to me, um, the first thing I want to know is their history. They're, that's just the core of what medicine is. First thing, if you go to a physician and he start injecting something in you or giving you something to swallow and don't know your history, it's time to go. So this is just ashes to ashes is a look at American history that would help African-Americans to heal in the fact that we acknowledge what happened and that those that it happened to that we did not forget them and that we will never forget them. I think for the country to heal as a whole, whites have to acknowledge that this happened. I think some people are shocked at the idea of lynching. They think it was just a walk in the park. They don't, they don't, they are not aware how vicious that period of time was. And they look at um, Mr. Floyd being killed and they're just, it has traumatized a lot of people, but to black community have had to do uh, that type of trauma forever. And you're right, there's um, parts in medicine, we be well aware of the fact that sleep apnea um, associated with stress, prolonged, um, torture, all those things come out in diabetes, hypertension, um, heart disease, and that's very prevalent among the black population because we've had to try to deal with stress um, without even acknowledging why, what is the stress about. But in order to, to survive, you've got to push that stress someplace else. So you have post-traumatic stress disorder that, you know, a lot of that started with the guys coming back from Vietnam, but you, you, you got to, African-Americans have to acknowledge that 400 years of being terrorized, I think it does something to you. I mean, the fact of being four or five years old and seeing somebody with their eye blown out, and that's, that can be traumatic to say the least, and the idea of how to handle that but not really ever handling it because I never, I never talked about it till about two, you know, about two or three years ago, talked about what that happened. So one is, as far as med medicine is concerned, is strongly, we acknowledge the fact that stress is associated with not being able to sleep. Stress is associated with all of those problems that you get with sleep apnea. And first to acknowledge the stress. So that hopefully ashes to ashes, make people um, acknowledge us you know, as African-American that we were traumatized with this. And um, as I said, in order to heal a patient, I have to acknowledge their history. And that's black history, white history, American history, to acknowledge that history. And that what I think Ashes to Ashes is doing, that's taken just a little slice of this history that's often pushed to the side. My parents never talked about lynching, and I know the only thing my father said about lynching was he talked about one lady that um, they, the Klan put her in hot tar and how they brought her back to, the, to our neighborhood, what people did to try to help her. So they knew about it, but it wasn't a conversation that they talked off. This is one case my father talked about that she was put in a hot tar and what they had to do to try to make her, her end in end of life something that was, you know, that relieve her pain as much as possible. But you can't really do much with hot tar on somebody's body. 
So, but he told, that's the only case he ever talked about. And I know that he and my mother, when I was small, I remember this, I was um, in the room with my cousins, my cousin and my, my sister had a sleepover and somebody came by and the, the guy was talking to them and he said he was out running the police. They told him, don't stand, you gotta run, you know you gotta run. And that was late at night and they thought I was asleep, but I heard them tell him he needs to run. The next morning I heard my mother say, you know, they found, you know, this young man and that he was dead. So they indirectly, but to confront it, they had to acknowledge it and you had to learn early how to deal with it. So, but for as people seeing the film Ashes to Ashes, hopefully it brings it home that these people, so many was traumatized. And Winford just says, you know, he was hanging from a tree like they did, like they did a hog in the South, tied by the legs and, you know, had him hanging with his head down. So he talked about how horrible that is. And the true, Winford demonstrates so much that's associated with prolonged stress. Diabetes, hypertension, obesity, all of that. He sleeps two hours a night and that's with medication. So that's not normal sleep. Normal sleep, you have to go through the five, you know, the five stages like of REM sleep. And if you miss those, it shows up somehow in your health. So he doesn't get that. He doesn't get the five stages of REM sleep. And he, as he said, I, he'll never be healed. He'll die with this. But there's so many that have been traumatized over and over again. 400 years is a long time. It feels to me like this, this film um, is in some ways, and in very you know, overt ways at, at times, a picture of the inequity that we see uh, not only in race relations in America, but, but also in, in also, and violence in America, uh, but also the health system uh, and how the health system is deeply flawed uh, and, and also racist. Uh, I mean, if, if you use Winfred as a, a character study in that system, it seems like um, he is a manifestation of, of all of the worst parts of racist America put forward, but, but also persevering. I don't want to, I don't want to paint him in too dark a picture because obviously he's overcoming through in some ways art. And so I'm curious um, also if you could speak to the power of art, because it seemed like, I mean, the film is, is an act of art. Um, you know, you are an artist. Dr. Whitaker, he is an artist. And so there's some connective tissue there as well that, that for me was hopeful. Um, do, do, you, do you use art as a form of therapy or is that too reductive? I think I use art in some way to relieve, like Ashtash, my pain that I felt, the sorrow that I felt, with people being brutalized and not getting the opportunity. So I use this as a way to deal with that. I use giving them a prayer, letting them know that we didn't forget you. And we're sorry, so painful what happened. May those spirits find peace. And I felt, so that's my way of doing that. Some of my, I'm doing a painting now of um, this young lady, I think it was 1918. It's a very famous uh, mention in the South of this black woman. Um, she's one of the uh, portraits that was done during Ashes to Ashes. She was 22 years old, pregnant, uh, last name Hayes. Her husband was one of 10 who was lynched in 11 days by the Klan because a, a black man had killed a white man. So there was lynching that came by. So she um, confronted the Klan about killing her husband. She was 22 years old, then she was eight months pregnant, the mother of two. And she confronted the Klan and um, they lynched her. They set her body on fire, tied her by her hind legs, cut her belly open, her baby fell out and they stumped the baby to death. 
That's a real case was brought to Congress to ask them to do something about the lynching. But of course, to this day, they have not outlawed lynching in America. There's a, a sculpture of her in the Boston Museum that was done during the um, Harlem Renaissance about her. I'm doing a painting of her because again, this really bothered me. And I, I think that this woman, 22 years old, in the South confronting the Klan, knew she would die. There's no other answer to that. Even today, you confront the Klan, the chance you would die. And for her to confront them about what they had done to her husband. So my painting is of her confronting them. I don't do a whole, the painting will not include uh, a, a lot of them, but mainly her. So I use art to address that um, misdeed that I, I, I real feel I feel bad about. And so, so I, do I use art? I think I always have, always have used art as a way of uh, addressing things that I felt were not wrong. I did a painting about, um, there's a, 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 a physician that was considered the father of GYN, gynecology. And he did um, surgeries on slaves and they had anesthesia but he didn't do anesthesia on them. He did not use anesthesia. And when he was trying to understand this, this problem with fistulas that women have that are very common after they have childbirth. And he did multiple surgeries. One young lady, they did, he did 30 surgeries on her. And she was never, he never used anesthesia because he felt blacks could tolerate pain. They didn't need anesthesia. So I did a painting. I heard about her and about them in passing in medical school. And it wasn't until two years ago that I, um, on NPR, someone was talking about it, um, about that case and about this surgeon and three statues uh, of him around the country. And that's when I found out their names. And but when they told in passing in medical school, when I did OBGYN, they said that because those multiple surgeries, the women lost sphincter so rectal sphincter tone, they didn't have blood control and they didn't have um, control of the vaginal area. So therefore, they had a smell. And they were relegated to a shed by the... the those women stayed together in a shed until they died. Because all those surgeries he did on them, they didn't have control of thing to control in the in the uh, female organs and the rectum and all this. So I did a painting of that because I felt when it was just hearing that one sentence about, about them. So I did a painting of them. But that's a two or three years ago. And someone had interviewed me and I told them about this case. And then they heard on NPR, they called me and said, I think I found your ladies. And so that's when I found. So I found that and I look and I tend to use my paintings and my art, my etchings and all that to, um, as a way, I guess, for me to heal. Because then I, I release the pain, you know that's associated with things that bother me. Like, you know, those five women that I can't, I can't bring them back, but at least acknowledge and let them know that I, 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 did, I did care about them and I'm sorry what happened to them. So do I use my art? Yes. I think it has helped me. Winfrey would say that he don't know if his art has really helped him because I asked him, he said, I, no, he said, I'm a dad like this. I, I don't think I ever be cured. I don't think anything would ever cure me. Because my impression <clears throat> was that using his art would let him release. But the, he could not come to the ashes, the ashes uh, service because his wife said, <clears throat> whenever he does work that deals with his lynching, he gets really sick and has to be hospitalized. So when we did Ashes to Ashes, he had been working on this piece and he got sick. She said, it happens every time. 
So we was hoping he could make it, but he couldn't make it because that's, you know, because he got sick dealing with that. How is Winfred doing now, Dr. Whitaker, in, in terms of his art project? I know that in the film, he says that he's going to do 50 or that was his goal. And I think yeah. at the time of the film, he had finished eight or something. Yeah. Um, how is that project and, and how is he doing now? Well, Winfred is, said he has all the complications that can be looked upon uh, um, related to the stress that he had endured. Obesity, hypertension, diabetes, um, those things are very common causes of renal failure. So he's present on dialysis three times a week. Um, he probably had what we call in medicine, diabetic nephropathy. So it's, he has two things that could uh, cause his kidney to fail, hypertension and diabetes and obesity. So he has all three of them. Um, he, he works. He still um, is doing a lot of work. I don't know. He definitely hasn't completed 50 yet, but I know he's constantly working. And I don't know. He's very fragile because um, he has a lot of health complications. Do you think that, do you think all of his health complications, I, again, I want to be very careful on how I ask okay. this question. Do you think, do you think that all or most of his health complications can be tied to trauma? It's going to be hard to, to tweeze them out, to say, oh, his hypertension is, you know, he was in prison. Remember that? He was in yeah. prison <laughs> for seven years. He was in a Georgia prison. That's one of the worst in the world. And talk what went through there. So hypertension is not uncommon in prison. You look at his hands, because I asked him, I was trying, as I, when I first met him, trying to find out why does one hand have calluses on it and the other one does not? He said, because I had to fight to defend myself. So constant stress in prison, hypertension. Your meals aren't the best meals, so you eat what you get. So dietary consideration wasn't on high on his list. And I think now he eats a lot of stuff that he should not eat because that gives him some satisfaction. So how to separate trauma and stress out as cause for his problem? Because a lot of problems he has are very common among African-Americans, but African-Americans endure a lot of stress. So it's hard to tweeze them out, to say which one, whether diabetes is due to stress, um, sleep apnea uh, is often due to stress, and with that, you get that. And he has that. He has sleep apnea, too. So I think a combination of these things. I, I, I don't know how I would different decide to tweeze out which one caused him to, um, if I, as far as his kidneys, I could possibly look, and if I did a kidney biopsy and look at the change in his kidney biopsy, it could tell me whether or not it's due to diabetes. Um, he's spent a lot of protein, which is very common on diabetic, but you can get that also with hypertension. Taylor, you've taken on a monumental task, and obviously it hasn't been you alone um, in this, but, but as the director, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what, I mean, this has been a massive education for you, I'm sure, um, a four-year or a five-year process of, of bringing this to life. And it's a crash course that has turned into a full-length, you know, education about race relations, uh, racially incited violence in America, um, the inequities in the health system. What... What would you offer to people, other young filmmakers, white filmmakers? I have this belief that, uh, you know, as much as it's not necessarily our place to tell the story of, of um, black stories, we'd still need white voices. And, and I think that yours is very valuable in this moment because you've undoubtedly learned a lot. So uh, is there something that you would offer up um, to other 
people who are wanting to tell stories or just listening? That's a big question. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, uh, I would say that the experience of working on this film in particular was a wake up call for me. Um, I mean, I myself thought of myself as um, not racist, understanding race relations. I took race relations courses in college and I was like, you know, I felt felt fine with myself. And I think the wake up call that I had was that you can only feel as fine with yourself um, relative to how much you know. And this uh, experience of working on Ashes to Ashes has been not just a history lesson for me. Um, I mean, there's just, it's, it's not like a couple of events, right? It's, it's this entire history that we have cultural amnesia about that is not in our textbooks, that is not talked about. Um, and it's a journey of learning that could last a lifetime. I mean, I have friends who are black writers and historians who are still learning about massive chunks of history that we didn't know about. And so, um, you know, the, the longer I've been in this and I'm now also a part of a few anti-racist groups that are organized by white colleagues um, where we're doing our own learning in those spaces too, is that it's a, it is a nonstop journey and it's absolutely necessary um, for all of us to be a part of. And, you know, what you mentioned, Corey, about needing white voices, I, I, I believe we have, yeah, we need all of our voices, you know, like it, it takes all of our voices coming from all of our own hearts and experiences just as much as we need humility and to know when to decenter and to know when to step back and to know when to listen and learn. Um, but being passive in this situation is, is not an option. And I think that's what I guess I would encourage anyone to do, especially filmmakers, especially white filmmakers who, you know, we are, we are coming from sort of privileged positions. I think if you're in the doc industry and you've made it this far and you're able to work on stories, you know, um, well, on the art point, I think the reason even like why I got so engaged and dedicated to stories because what you give attention to heals and what you ignore gets worse. And so, you know, this story wasn't my story. This would win Winfred and Shirley's story, but committing to working on this to me was giving attention to this part of history that I knew I wanted to give attention to and to give whatever love I had towards it. And you know, finding, finding pathways and ways of, of engaging, finding pathways and ways of giving attention and giving love to different parts of our racial injustices in America, I think is really important. And, and finding groups to do that with where you're not just relying on people of color to lead that, to tell you what's right and wrong and what books to read and what to do and what not to do, but actively forming groups of allies if you are white and working through that stuff together too and taking that you know emotional labor off of people of color like Shirley who were obviously giving their entire lives um, to working through these stories to bringing light and love to forgotten um, forgotten humans who have been victims of violence and so you know yeah we're, we're here to lift each other up right now and I don't think the path is is super clear but just you know staying committed and 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 working through it and admitting when you're wrong and not hiding because it's hard would be my advice it's Thanks. a lesson in language right now i feel like too it's it's learning uh how to be an active participant in the conversation and knowing that as you learn a language that you should have learned a long mm -hmm. time ago you will make mistakes as you speak um and it requires humility to own those mistakes, which I think is in short supply right now. And CJ, do you have anything to add to that? I saw you kind of. Well, I was, it was just, I wanted to, to ask Dr. Whitaker the, the same, you know, just in terms of the film and this project that you began, you know, what is, is your hope now as, as hopefully we can, we can shine some uh, light here on, on the film. And I, I highly recommend that, you see this film uh, it is a powerful powerful piece uh, earlier i said it was beautiful i think it's beautiful filmmaking I, I i think that's a the wrong word i mean it's really it's a visceral piece and coming from from you dr whitaker um you know what is your hope for this piece going out into the world um with winfred's story and your story what is your hope 
um, for the film as it, as it goes and, and people can now see it? I guess the overall story has always been that um, one, that we acknowledge and not forget these people. Um, two, use it as a, a way of healing. Maybe just a skill, because the more I see, I more the more I know we got a lot of work to do, um, all of us in this country. But as I say, you cannot, the best way to heal is for someone knowing your history. As I, as I look at it, the first thing I do with patients, I need to know their history. And so that's what we're trying to provide here. And with that history, I can, you can, that's a better way to heal if that history is, is known and acknowledged. Um, and America has denied this history so long. And I, I'm hoping I want in the future of part two, I guess, of Ashes to Ashes. I, when you see the film, you saw little kids coming up and speaking names. I want, this is my goal in the future to do um, a 24 hour speak my name. And you see little slivers of that in the movie because because uh, I wanted, that was so important. This African liberty to speak my name and I live forever. So that's what we did a little bit of in the film. So I want that, but I wanted those names, those four to 6,000 names. And I wanted to go from um, the 1800s to the present because some form of lynching is still going on. And slivered in between there is educational points. You know, slavery, reconstruction, Jim Crow, um, civil, you know, civil rights, Black Panthers, Black Lives Matter, somehow slivered in there. And there could be an educational component for, you know, a teacher can click on that other than that little paragraph that was said. And from that, there'd be a curriculum as educational curriculum. A part of that, I want there to be some positive things that African-Americans have contributed. I went through four years in medical school and then never told me one positive thing that we did in medicine. They didn't tell me that um, Drew did the blood the reason we are able to have blood on the battlefield is because of what he came up with. I remember Jimmy Kimmel, the comedian comes on at night. His son was really sick. And he was saying that this physician came in there and did the magic. He did not know that the magic was done by a guy named Thomas Vivian, who was at, he was like a janitor at John Hopkins. And the man that I was taught about was named Baylor. And he went all over the world talking about this technique that this basic janitor had taught him. I mean, think of how that just lifts you up a little bit. That, in, that they would say some of the positive contributions that we've made to this culture other than seeing us as take but give nothing. And that's not true and I, I a part of Ashes the Ashes Speak My Name, I wanted that woven in there. For the film, um, <sighs> I hope it touched people in a way that they acknowledge those that have passed and use that as a, as a healing for this country. This country has to heal, but the only way you can do that is acknowledge in history. And as a physician, I strongly believe in history. When a patient walks in and tell me, my father has renal failure and I can't hear. All the history has already told me what kind of kidney disease she has. Taking that history, then I can know how to approach her or him. So that's my hope. And I, I hope that people acknowledge that um, it's worth considering what was done in there. And I, I'm so grateful that um, Taylor and her father did this film because we tried for three or four months to get African-Americans artists to help with this film and it wasn't, it wasn't to be. It 
the way it happened was the way it was supposed to be. So I feel good about that. And I think that they was able to touch people's lives in a way that uh, I never thought Ashes to Ashes could do. And it has had an impact. Um, there was a, um, a man in, my, in Amherst who was, he saw, he saw Ashes to Ashes. He didn't see the film, but he got Kuru. You know, he got this type of um, disease that in three months, in, no, in six weeks he was dead. But it got to the point, remember mad cow disease. So he got that. So it got to a point, it interferes with all his neurological um, parts of his body. So he couldn't talk. But his wife, over three days, was able, he kept wanting her to understand what he was saying. He was trying to tell her, she kept saying Springfield. She said, what about Springfield? What about Springfield? And he said that um, she discerned, she said, surely he started shaking. And he said, ashes to ashes. And he was shaking, he was able to acknowledge that what he wanted her to make a contribution because ashes to ashes had touched his life. So I'm very moved by that and it has touched a lot of people. And it's because someone took the time to make this into a film, something that had never been done before. I think it's such a poignant lesson, know your history. I think if more people in America would take time to understand the, the true history of what this nation is and where it comes from. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that um, we could start on a much more collective path of healing together. Um, I don't think there's, I mean, that is such a strong takeaway. And I really, really genuinely appreciate uh, the effort that you've put into this, um, into the project. And Taylor, I, I have to just, as somebody who's known you for a long time, I just, I want to commend you and say that I think that your work is really beautiful and um, is, this is such a, uh, an, a tremendous evolution of your path as well. And I want to thank you both for, sorry, I'm getting emotional. Um, I want to thank you both for putting it into the world because it, it fucking matters. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Both of you, I mean, this, you know, there's a, there's a part in the film toward the end when Winfred talks about his impact and, it, and his, his healing um, and, the, and the lack there. But he says, you know, I can put a dent in it, meaning the world. And uh, I think that this film and what you both have accomplished with it um, is a dent and you know, I think that anyone who sees it will feel that and you're both to be commended. I mean, it's just that a beautiful, beautiful, I keep going back to that for some reason, but it's a very effective and uh, wonderful piece. So thank you to Dr. Whitaker. Thank you for the inspiration. And Taylor, thanks for helping to bring it to life. And I, for all of our listeners, we've been talking about this film. You have to see it. Um, and I would encourage all of you to also to go to ashes to ashes forever.com and to go to Winfred Rembert.com, which is where his art lives. And also to go to Shirley Whitaker.com. Um, and you can explore all of this art um, and this, this sort of the impetus for this beautiful film, which ties it all together. Um, so I just want to mirror Corey's, uh, sentiment there. Uh, thank you deeply for putting this into the world. It, it really is important. And, and thank you for spending the time with us today. Thank you for spending time. Yeah. Thank you both so much. Really appreciate the conversation. So much love, CJ. So much love, Corey. Really appreciate the thoughtfulness with your questions. And, um, you know, Winfred isn't able to join us on a lot of these calls. Hopefully, um, some he's on dialysis a number of days a week, but you know, um, the film is releasing on the 29th. I don't know when this podcast will air, but anyone who feels compelled to communicate with him, I would suggest writing a letter to, um, to, uh, the email that's on the website. It's also ashes to ashes film at gmail.com a number two. And we're going to make sure all those letters get printed and taken to him, um, periodically in person by his, his family. And so, Thank you guys Amazing. so much.
we'll put that the, into the show yeah, notes, well, Taylor. Uh, the the okay. that uh, just a letter to Winfred, and and if you see this movie, you will be compelled to write that letter. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he is a just a character. Um, you know, I don't want to ruin the film in 25 minutes. What you're able to do with the the his character and the the service is again, it's just astounding. Um, is it possible in both cases, in both your case, Dr. Whitaker, and in Winfred's case, can can our listeners uh, buy uh, art or prints? Um, is, is there a, a way to, um, you know, as I'm looking at these, at your work, Dr. Whitaker, and his, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I want to, to, to own some of this somehow and, and have it around me. I mean, it's so beautiful. Um, and, and so meaningful, I guess would be the better word, but um, is there a way to, for our listeners to, to um, purchase? Yes, <laughs> for, yes. Um, I will check with my, the person is working on my website now, um, tell you how you can purchase some of these pieces. And um, when I went for it, I always say his pieces are just amazing to me. It's just, so you can look at mine and you can look at his, but you know, I'm sure you can definitely purchase mine. I definitely know you can purchase Winfrey one way. And, Excellent, um, great. So, so you we'll go to that website, up. you know. We'll have more info as well about how to um, purchase art at the Vimeo link and I'll send that to you guys as well. Great, so yeah. And so we'll put all of this information into the show notes so that those of you who are interested, you can follow those show notes and and uh, go ahead and, and take a look at all of that. I know that Winford also has a memoir on his website as well, it looks like. Um, so there's lots of ways to, to follow up with the amazing characters of the film. And again, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you guys. Okay. Thank you Thanks. guys. Okay.